welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. We are recording uh, just a day after Shiva Tammuz, a day after the fast of the 17th of Tammuz, and we are therefore in the uh, the eponymous three weeks, <laughs> the three weeks uh, between uh, 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av. Uh, it's a time of mourning and restrictions and preparations for the fast of Tisha B'Av, uh, when we you know commemorate the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, and then again the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, mm-hmm. and... Uh, the tragic elements of Jewish history. So it's it's always a, it's a heavy time of summer. I, I always feel uh, kind of comes sometimes more at the beginning of the summer, sometimes towards the end of the summer. But it's just a heavy, heavy time. And uh, I think every year we experience it with a different set of you know um, like emotions based on the year that we've had, the months that have prepared us for it for this time. So so well, what are you thinking? This year on the three weeks, what's your three weeks uh, headspace right now? I've been thinking a lot about how uh, the message of the three weeks is a lot about unity and coming together and uh, boundless generosity, inviting people in where they weren't before, right? thinking about people that might be on the outside and bringing them in and how that's kind of at odds with the way we've been living our lives over the course of this pandemic uh, and how though we're starting to emerge from it, um, how those things are intention and what it mean, what it might mean, what it might look like to practice that generosity and inviting people in now. Um, that doesn't seem intention. That seems like a perfect alignment of this stage of aren't we inviting? Aren't we is, trying? Right. Of course. But it's, it's uh, there's still some boundaries that need to be set and that are hard and, uh, I know they're not as, as restrictive, thank God, as, as what we what we had, but there are still some boundaries in place that make it difficult, I think. Um, that, that, that's that's absolutely true, actually. And I, I we've had um, people passing through the community, reaching out in various ways, looking for hospitality of one kind or another. And uh, some of those requests are things that, like, you know, two years ago would have been very easy for our congregation to, like, we had the resources and the ability to very right, easily like people who need to stay for Shabbat or yeah, people who yeah. need to you know even just come regularly to Minyan and we don't and maybe people aren't in the building as much and even though we had a great Minyan streak this past <laughs> week and, and and we're continuing it and keep coming but uh yeah like that sense of generosity of yeah. is not the same I had, a, I had a very sad experience while I while I was last week somebody reached out to me to say like I'm I'm passing through Chicago I want to spend like five days in Lakeview. Can you guarantee, like, is you have a reliable minion for those five days? And I have to say, well, actually, you know, over Shabbat, it's pretty reliable. And we have a pretty good track record on Sunday morning. But uh, Monday and Tuesday, when you still want to be in town, I, I can't guarantee like right. a week in advance. Like if, if you come, we'll try and we'll recruit and we'll, you know, and if, you know, maybe you'll meet people over Shabbat and, and encourage them and, <laughs> and we'll certainly try. But I, I can't guarantee. Whereas for years and years, I would say, yeah, we have a minion every morning. Please join us. Uh, and this, this was a... Uh, somebody traveling with his adult son and the two of them made plans to go elsewhere, right. which really broke my heart, but, you know, especially because had they been here, like that would have, you know, maybe would have dramatically increased our, our likelihood of a minion. So I, this is, I don't want to get off on a, I, I no, can talk about, I can talk about minion for a very long time, but it's a, it's a, it's, um, 
Yeah, think positive. Not, We've got a great streak. <laughs> got a great streak. Let's keep it going. Keep it going. Uh, but but it, I definitely uh, just felt that 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 lack of ability to be as generous. With or even to th- say, of course, I know all the people hosting, and they'd be happy yes, to likewise. have you. Yeah. And it's just not exactly what yeah. we can do yet, and that's difficult, right? Because that's the whole story of Compton Bar Compton, the Gemara of like inviting someone for a meal and saying, of course, I have space for one more. Yes, when it comes to the, come when it comes to minion and. And, and hospitality, it's also, it's not just what we're able to do. It's also, like, what we're, like, in the habit of doing. I think we sort of, as we hunker down and isolated, yes. we sort of lost those habits yes. of being really community-minded and just abundantly generous with our time and resources and making yeah. that space for people in a regular way. Uh, so, like, we really, you know, we could do a lot more hosting, right? Yes. Health-wise, right? There, there's... A, some amounts of hosting that many of us could do, right, with the, those of you who live in vaccinated households or people, you know, et cetera. So, like, it's, it's a lot that could be done, but it's, like, also, like, getting back into that habit, back mm-hmm. in that mindset. So that also, I think, aligns very much Absolutely. with, uh, right, I guess the I – mean, you're alluding, I assume, to the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, right? He was invited to the wrong party. He showed up. He, or the wrong invitation went out. He showed up. He wasn't supposed to be there. And that, that, that started this cascade of destruction that, uh, because people were, you know, the host – didn't make room for this guest. Or... Right, because Bar Kamsa was invited when really Kamsa was supposed to be invited and the host finds out and really Bar Kamsa is his enemy and he finds out and says, you know what, even in this lavish party, I don't have room to not embarrass you, right? There's mm-hmm. this kind of who's in, who's out theme in the story of uh, and the connected Midrashim and there's a parallel Midrash in Eicha Rava that talks about Right, the, the strict formalities of hosting that, that uh, Benetzio and the, the people who lived in Yerushalayim used to have. And really, the Midrash is not, it, right, it sounds like it's lauding the people who are saying, wow, they had these great strictures and laws in place. Everything was understood. Everyone knew their place. And really, it's a, it's a more than, it's, it's a not so subtle criticism of saying you shouldn't have those formal boundaries in place, right? There should be an open heartedness that is in any Jewish community mm-hmm. that where you welcome people in. And it's not that, oh, I have a, you know, one of the things mentioned in the Midrash is when, you know, the white flag is raised or the white flag is outside the home. Everyone knows we don't go in after that, hmm. which is kind of like, right, not so as not to be rude is the, is the actual text of the Midrash, but the subtext is that's so restrictive and that's keeping people on the outside. What about those people who didn't, weren't invited, didn't know to reach out, um, or are new to the community, are passing through, and now they know, oh, I can't knock on this door, I can't ask to be hosted, I can't. So that's what I'm thinking about in the three weeks of how do we, right, we had a, a necessary strictures in place, and now that we're kind of, there are strictures that are allowing us to be safely together, how do we kind of ease up and let people know, you can ask, and maybe we will have more people able to host and yeah, I guess there is more of a parallel there than. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's, it's hard. yeah, it, it's hard, uh, but it's important, right? We need to sort of generosity of spirit. That's like the phrase that I often use. Yes. Just of sort of not, you know, you have you have a reason to be upset. You have a reason to be strict. You have a reason to exclude. You have a reason to condemn. But like generosity of spirit, we're just gonna like, you know, we want to extend to other people that generosity of spirit. And even though they don't comply with all the rules, we're gonna make space for them. And even though that is something that, I, that could be interpreted in a way that offends us and angers us. We're going to choose not to take that uh, offense. You're saying from the side of the people who are kind of left out? 
No, from I, from like I have reason to exclude. I have reason to put up the white flag because yes. I, I bought all my food already. And like you're asking, right. you know, like you're coming to me on Friday afternoon. Like you couldn't have thought of this, you know, you know, two days ago before I went shopping that you needed a place to stay. Like why are you coming to me now? Right? That's that's not that's so nice. So the answer is yeah, okay. But at the end of the day, this person you know needs needs and and from the person who's excluded or anyone anyone who has all of us have reasons we can take offense at the actions of others. But like let's just try to remember like we're you know. Just as we hope to be judged and evaluated in the fullness of our personhood and with um, due deference to all the hardships we're facing and overcoming to kind of get through this world, we should extend that generosity of spirit to others as well. And we, right. Rather than being quick to condemn and to dismiss and to write off, let's sort right. of like, well, well, actually, like, they're probably dealing with different but comparable stuff that I'm dealing with. And uh, let, let's extend them that generosity of spirit rather than take offense and condemn and dismiss and exclude. Right. Right. And looking to small details to try and condemn. That's the whole thread that runs through the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa that, right, the, this person is left out of the party and, and kicked out of the party, shamed. And then ultimately, uh, it ends up being that they uh, reject a korban in the Beit HaMikdash for a small blemish that was interpreted as a blemish by some and not by others. And that's what ends up uh, offending the, the Roman rulers and and causes the destruction of the the base of Mikdash. So like that, the, that zeroing in on the tiny details, saying, well, it should have been this way, it could have been that way. Yes, and have a little compassion, have that openness. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's also us. That's also like a small mindedness, right? Of, yeah. of uh, you know, the Roman army is at the gates, and you're gonna spark a war because of a halachic. Um, yeah, uh, detail, which in a normal circumstance is a beautiful thing to celebrate and right. to observe meticulously, but like just be, you know, have some perspective and like, you know, when, uh, yeah. you know, when the infant is sick, like make sure they get to the doctor, right? Like don't, don't, don't mess around like when, et cetera, right? You know, when, when there are, when, yes. may, when have, be able to have perspective of like celebrating the beauty of meticulous observance of mitzvot, right. but also in like a context of right. the big picture of other yeah. like broader threats that need to be accommodated and responded to and yeah know. i think that's a, that's a message as our community is coming back together right yes we could zero in on the details where things have been dropped or things have been hard or people have been ignored and maybe unwittingly right and instead uh, to kind of take that broader perspective of wow everyone's trying so hard to try and come back together and connect how can mm-hmm. how can i think about this from a different perspective yeah yeah, yeah. right and and Yes, exactly, exactly, and and I think um, yes, it's, so, so, so I think so, you know we, we all had we all had very different experiences in our time of isolation. Uh, I think you know yes, we we've, we've right. talked about this and I think frequently, right? But yes, it's you know s- different things were easier, different things were harder, so um, and uh, and so they're all bringing that baggage of to our reconvening of you know I think there are people I, I had conversations recently with people who are really like dreading having to be so public and social again. That for yes. them it was like a real. It was like a respite of like, wow, I don't have to like be on display. I don't and have there are to, other you know, people can... who have, yeah, really felt the pain of isolation and yes. kind of are stuck in this space of why did no one reach out? And yes. How do I reach yeah. out again? How do maybe they don't want me anymore? And like, what yes. does that mean? So even I know, and I know that's difficult on both sides of like assuming best intention and, and being open and asking for your yeah, needs yeah. Is, is really Absolutely. important. There's right a lot now. of, there's a lot of pain that we're, that we're with our, best that we are set to process together. No, for real. <laughs> Behind our smiling faces when we see each other at show, there's a lot of, oh we have gosh. a lot of baggage that we're bringing with us. A yeah. lot of, a lot of baggage. Yeah. I talked about that in my reopening classes. <laughs> a lot, a lot. 
and it's real and it's present in Torah, it's present in tradition that coming back together is laden with a lot of trauma and pain and stuff that needs to be processed as a community and we're we're here for it. We're here for it. Yeah. Yeah. So one one idea that I'm um, thinking of teaching on Tisha B'Av this year is a passage from a book written by Rabbi Aaron Shmuel Tamaris, who is an obscure 19th, 20th century Eastern European Orthodox rabbi who was notable as um, a as a pacifist. I think one of the few Jewish pacifists, like who really embraced pacifism as a philosophy and felt that was the like spiritual message of the Torah that the Jews are meant to be this model of pacifism, that we're supposed to teach humanity how to be pacifists. Uh, and uh, he has a very moving passage, which I'd like to like share and learn with the community on, on Tisha B'Av about the suffering of exile, which is something that we mourn on Tisha B'Av, of course, as, I, right, as we said, the, all the tragic elements of Jewish history, the, the suffering, the dispersion, the destruction. Uh, and he uh, acknowledges that sadness and that grief, but says that um, it's, it's something to also be proud of, that in mourning, the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, we actually demonstrate our intimacy with God as, as a people. That the things that we choose to mourn, our, mm-hmm. our, our detachment from God, the fact that we still haven't gotten over it and that we um, still maintain that Jewish identity despite the suffering, in the suffering, and that sadness we feel uh, isn't, doesn't mean that we were rejected by God, God forbid. It doesn't mean that uh, we should you know, imitate the nations that oppress us, but it means that we should actually have some pride in the fact that We've cultivated this kind of spiritual sensitivity that um, leads us to feel sadness and mourning over our distance from God and the loss of our of the Beit Hamikdash, which I think uh, for him is is maybe less about the building itself and more about what it signified, which was this tremendously intimate relationship between the Jewish people uh, and God. So I, I think it's a provocative idea. I'm uh, I'm thinking about a. I think there's a parallel teaching in Rabbi Nachman about that, about how. Um, Right when you feel distant from God and you're mourning that, you're saying, "I don't even have the words to pray. I don't have the the feeling to pray. Where's my relationship gone?" The very fact that you're saddened by that yes. is a is a sign that your relationship is alive. That's right? right, it's there that you care, and that there's a there's a path back. Right, you shouldn't give up because of that. You should know that that's a sign that you you're still in a deep relationship. Oh, that's a very interesting comparison. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna. Bring you to include Rabbi Nachman on your source sheet, Rabbi Walkenfeld. It might, it might. It, it would not be the first time. If it, no? I don't think so. Uh, but uh, maybe. All right, maybe you'll come and you'll, you'll can interject that, that 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 perspective as well. Sure. Um, yeah. So so that that's also something I'm again, thinking about preparing, and that'll be you know everyone's invited <clears throat> to join us on on Tisha B'Av afternoon in the shul uh, for that. So you recently participated in a culmination marking the completion of, I guess, the first six months of a writing fellowship that you were uh, awarded by Safaria and Shivat Maharat. And I read about the culmination uh, and um, was intrigued and very impressed by the topic that you took on to research. And I would please share a little bit about what you researched and maybe any preliminary findings that we can... uh, (laughs) we can hear about first on the podcast. Sure. So first is a little bit of background, right? This, uh, uh, my topic is interpersonal and communal reliance on the kashrut standards of families, which have within them mixed levels of halachic observance. So it's saying people who are in close relationship with each other, who have different levels of keeping halacha or different ways of keeping halacha. 
And the background to that is that, I, you know, in my own personal experience with uh, close friends or family who have different levels of observance than I have, I wanted to figure out what is what can halacha say? What halachic language do we have to acknowledge that those relationships exist, that people have homes like this, people have uh, uh, close relationships like this? Um, and does can halacha give voice to the fact that these people that people live lives together while bridging different halachic realities or different halachic uh, mindsets and outlooks? This is this um, is a hugely relevant topic <laughs> for you know aside from whatever personal background yeah, we have, I think uh, just on a professional level, sure. we get I, I get tons of questions right. from Hence the, the communal aspect. That's what I wanted to put in. So from roommates, people who are trying roommates who don't keep kosher or keep kosher differently, and how do we eat on the same dishes or what do we do or that, or people or who are. Um, I guess a lot of folks pass through the shul who are becoming more observant and their parents whom they, right, they want to go visit their parents or their yeah. whatever, their, their in-laws, whoever it is, who don't, don't maintain a kosher home and how can they eat and what can they do for Shabbat with yes. their in-laws or whatever. You know, so this is, this is not a um, obscure and irrelevant topic. It's a very relevant and, you know, topic that, that gets a lot of So Right. So awesome. this was very relevant in yeah. the t- in, for Moshe Feinstein when he was talking about Jews in the former USSR. Um he wrote responsa about uh, elderly. Well, he, well, it was it was the USSR when he was right. It was uh... correct, correct. Right. <laughs> you can give me all the the historical notes. Um, he was writing about um, elderly parents who were more religiously observant than their children who were communists. Communists, yes, yeah. not <laughs> not religious, and right where and these parents, these elderly parents, could only live with their family, right? And they, of course, their children wanted to take care of them, but their homes were not. Uh, well, they themselves weren't personally strictly kosher <laughs> because they were secular communists. Um, so it's, it was really cool to, to see this come up in Rav Moshe and that Rav Moshe Feinstein found language in Halacha to say that personal trust and personal um, d- desire to maintain a relationship of trust and love between two people can account for a lot in Halacha, whereas um, right in dry halacha, there's a concept of ne'emanut, which is uh, trust between parties, and generally folks who have publicly established that they like don't take into account certain halachic standards in their daily life. Right, if they don't keep Shabbat publicly or if they don't keep kashrut publicly, then they would not have ne'emanut. They would not have trustworthiness. Which makes a lot of sense. If somebody doesn't keep, saying, if somebody right. doesn't kosher, why, why, why do they know? Why, why do they trust them to, if they don't care about these that's laws not something themselves? That, right. It's not something that's central to their lives. So it would make sense to say, right, that they're not going to consistently be keeping that in their private lives if they're not doing it in public, for right, sure. Right, um, So that, that concept of ne'emanu is not established for them, right? They don't have it. And that creates a big problem if they're sharing quarters with or living quarters in a home with with people who they're maybe they may be responsible for feeding for you know um, if they're cooking in their home for people who have who do care about kashrut, um, so Rav Moshe writes about how there can be a concept called kimli bigave from a Gemara that talks about personal reliance. Right, I know about that person that they wouldn't in, in the Gemara. It's talking about that they wouldn't lie about something. But it's a general trustworthiness. I know that person. I have a relationship with them. I know they wouldn't lie to me if they're telling me 
I'm keeping the standard that you set out. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, right, I care about you, I care about your value, so I'm going to respect that in XYZ way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Rav Moshe establishes this as, a, as a, a basis for the fact that these elderly parents can rely on their children to keep kosher for them or to cook kosher meat for them in the home and not switch it out with, say, cheaper non-kosher meat that they could mm-hmm. find more readily available um, because they care about their parents because they love them because they respect them and they want to abide by their wishes and, and preserve their values, even as they're not the values of these children, the, mm-hmm. right, their personal values. So um, working off of that, I think there's a solid basis in halacha to establish that for other kinds of caring relationships. The question is, right, when you're, when you're expanding that outside of these like nuclear relationships, or say like partners, right, that there's one partner who's religious and one who is not, um, or family members, which is, seems to be an easy extension. The question is about communal reliance. Uh, and then I think it really does come to, like, do we trust people to care about their community and say, okay, I'm going to, if I tell you that I'm relying by the SBI communal kashrut standards, can I trust you, right? Mm-hmm. Do you care enough about the community? I would say yes. I, it's hard. I, I think implicitly, right? <laughs> implicitly that that that's sort of what we've said as a community. Correct. In in developing those, standards. it's just right. It's giving that language of saying, you know, we know about this nemanut issue, this reliability issue, given that people might not say keep Shabbat in the yeah. same way that I do, and yet, and yet we can we can expand this and say you are trustworthy, even though I know that outside of right, you personally might keep a certain standard. Yeah, I, I think okay. I, I want to like dwell on that a little bit, just in terms of the shul yeah. angle, because I think that sure. it is this is something that um, really characterizes our community in, in a really special way, and I, I don't want it to be taken for granted. And I think you've well, just sort of articulated the halachic, um, like how it's a fraught halachic stance to take, right? Most many Orthodox communities really operate on that ne'emanut kind of uh, paradigm, wherein. Oh, I see. So and so like isn't so strict about X mitzvah or Y mitzvah. So how can I trust them to serve serve me a kosher Shabbos meal? Right. Um, I guess I won't accept invitations in their home, and that that's generally how that uh, Orthodox communities operate, right? You know, and and and, and right. it can be very superficial, right? It's yes. it's uh, you know she doesn't cover her head outside the home, so I'm not going to accept a Shabbos invitation, or they send their kids to you know, that school, you right. know, so like, I, how can I trust them to like be serving me kosher food to the degree that I accept? And uh, that's obviously, and, and our, our approach is right. serving a kosher Shabbos meal is the birthright of every Jew. And we're going to give <laughs> guidelines and teach you how to Absolutely. do it, even if it means take out that you wrap in aluminum foil, right? And serve right. on paper plates. Like here's the information so right. that anybody in this community can serve a kosher, a strictly meticulously right. kosher meal right. to somebody else. But then I get. And that's public knowledge. And given that those guidelines are public knowledge and provided by the shul, and then we all com- might agree together as a community to abide by them, uh, and we trust people, even as we're seeing, I don't know, like in other, where there might have been other assumptions in other circumstances, as a community, we've decided together to establish that. Keenly Begave, I know about that person. They care about the community, and they will abide by these standards. Uh, it's, right. It's, also, it's a language. It gives, a, hopefully, a language, empowering language for people to say, you know, yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. I keep community standards, or you know, like which, Absolutely. and then people can say, "Of course," and we'll, you know, ask questions if they, you know, and, and I get a lot. I get a lot of I get a lot of questions yeah. about kashrut from people whom um, I, I don't think are necessarily um, deeply, deeply committed to kashrut in their personal lives when they travel, when they go to restaurants. But it's really important to them yeah. to have a kitchen that is 
that, that can serve community standard meals and as, as part as members of this community. Right. I think that's, that's beautiful. Right. And that's, I think the, the whole framing of the chuva is the pastoral framing. Right. I initially was writing just about like partners in a relationship with each other, given there's like, like there's a prevalence to these couple to couples now. And I think they need halakhic language and the halakha should recognize and say, your home is a kosher home even as, right. And you should feel free asking those questions because Halacha talks about this topic. Halacha mm-hmm. cares. Mm-hmm. Yours is a, a kosher home, and here's how you should go about it, right? That the pastoral framing is that there should be open communication about it, and that uh, values should be communicated with one another, whether that's within a couple or within a family or a community, uh, and then you should be able to talk about it, and, and it shouldn't be taboo. Have you researched the flip side of, um, like, I know, like, I think Beit Hillel did something a few years ago about, like, um, the the ones who keep kosher, what leniencies are appropriate uh, when eating with uh, non-observant friends or family? Is that you know? Is that... It's not part of this current chuva. It's in, I mean, there's it's a different a general, research. It's, it's, it's a, a different, different research project. It's a different it's research different project. guidelines. Sure. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's easy. It's easy enough to like lay out certain mm-hmm. premises where you can talk about packaged foods or cold foods mm-hmm. or. Sure, but that hasn't. Maybe that's a part two. There's a lot to be said about this topic, right? Because it's not. It doesn't only apply in for kashu standards. Manud as a halachic concept, reliability, sure. uh, trusting others in the context of mitzvah observance, that has to do with relationship. Like that extends to a lot of different things, a lot of different halachic areas. Hachonida is built on that, oh, <laughs> so right? That's, that's why I didn't because that one was a little more fraught and a lot more to think about, right? Yeah. I, haven't it didn't want to include that that was a thought for like part two yeah right there's like nita there's shabbat right uh, uh benefiting from shabbat observance in a home or right? if someone oh yeah if someone is in the home and then cooks something for you on shabbat you're if it's cooked specifically for you yeah you cannot eat that right so then knowing that you know that food was not prepared while you were out of the home mm-hmm. right and that you're going to be fed oh yeah right and that's yeah. a big deal yeah. and that's yeah. something that right i think there's something to be said for like guidelines of communicating around halachic values yes. in relationships where you know you're coming from different places and that's good and that's like right it's your it's your jewish birthright to know these these halachot and to have relationships that are between people of different observance levels and we should have guidelines for that to say like there are a lot of couples that i spoke with who said you know what i we just don't actually talk about that with mm. rabbis which is sad really int- i don't know about i mean there are personal boundary issues certainly within the area of nita which is why i kind of Mm-hmm. let that off for for the time being and thinking about it but i think there's room to talk about it right especially yes. if you're not as not right you should feel comfortable if it's not even a, if it's not in a public setting of saying i'm going to address this in a chuba talking to religious uh, authorities i sp- i know i spoke with my uh rosh baby josh sd rosenberg about it she was like oh that's a great topic you know when we talked about different it, it's Communication is key within the relationship between the family members, between the friends, between you and your rabbi or religious guidance uh, guide person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's key, and you should know that like there's so many more people out there that are like you than you think. This yeah. question, you're not yes. the first one yes. asking the question, and your relationship is good. Your relationship is holy. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. You are part of this community too. We want to reflect that. That's really great. That's really. I'm really excited to to read the finished product when you <laughs> when you when you get it ready. Uh, but I'm really and I'm glad that this fellowship gave you a chance to research this more and work this out. Yeah, and thanks to my uh, halachic guiders, <laughs> Rabbi Linzer, Rabbi Nizbaroz Lachauer, Rabbi Rachel Berkovitz, all of the people who I've been able to consult with who have encouraged this project. That's really great. great. Those are great scholars you've uh, oh my you've gotten to learn with. I am beyond lucky. That's <laughs> terrific. That's terrific. Yes.